2: Here with another episode of this, the Roto World Football Podcast. Thank you for being here. I hope you've been wonderful. A little break, a little time to breathe. I hope your lives have slowed down just like our lives have slowed down just a little bit. Things do get busier next week. I want to inform you, I think we already informed you, that we'll be down in Miami for the entire Super Bowl week. We have about 20 to 30 guests lined up. Current players, former players, current head coaches in the NFL, and definitely Hall of Famers as well. Should be a lot of fun. Oh, and some writers, you know, the people you hear from all the time, but we want to get them on this podcast. Uh, we'll actually be located in the Miami Convention Center, so if any of our listeners are out and about in that area, see us for whatever reason, do not hesitate, and I repeat, do not hesitate to say hello to John Daigle. <laughs> now, say hello to me. I might be nicer anyways, but I'm serious. uh, If you do see us, say hello. We would love to hear from you. All right. So actually this week, myself and Daigle and Ian Harditz welcomed Roto Pat to the studio with us. We shot about seven or eight videos that will actually come out after the Super Bowl, but I don't want you all to wait that long. So what I'm going to do is navigate you in between the videos. Each one has a different topic. Each one lasted around seven or eight minutes. Obviously, this is the audio version. So I'll set each one up, then carry you to the next one, the next one, and the next one. This is the first four, and then I'll have an episode early next week with the other four. But also be in the lookout for podcasts almost every single night. I know we're going to put one up on Wednesday night, Thursday night, and Friday of next week. Sounds good? Sounds good. Look, I I thought you guys did way more work than me during the season. I don't need to see your reaction to that statement. So I took it upon myself to completely outline the 10, yeah, that happened, things from the season. and just want to get your honest reactions from each one. We're going in blind. We don't know. You've got no clue. I'm excited. This is great for everyone uh, out there. These are kind of in chronological order, somewhat. Let's start off with Jalen Ramsey and Jadavion Clowney. They were traded. These are two players that are arguably at the top of their positions in the NFL. Clowney was traded on August 31st for just a third-round pick, pass rusher Barkevious Mingo, and pass rusher Jacob Martin. Meanwhile, Jalen Ramsey was traded on October 15th after the cornerback missed multiple weeks. Remember that back injury? That he for a was dealing to leave, right? Uh, for no, two first-round picks, 2020 and 2021, and a fourth-round pick was in 2021, 2021 as well. Ian, not often we see two name-brand quality players be moved in one season. Yeah, and they
0: both made a huge impact right away too. I mean, Clowney was the best player really in that Seahawks front seven, other than Bobby Wagner, uh, the whole season. And Ramsey, I mean, once he got to LA, first game, Julio Jones. Travel with him all over the field. I mean, we even saw him for the first time in his career matchups against Juju Smith Schuster, Allen Robinson moving inside into his slot. I mean, most true shadow cornerbacks, we don't even need to worry about that much just because of how much they're truly uh, not going inside and they don't always spend every snap away from wide receiver. That's how Wade Phillips used Jalen Ramsey last year. We'll see if it sticks up with the new defensive coordinator this season, but still very good performance. It was
1: also mind-boggling because we know the Rams are dealing with Gurley, Goff, and Cooks contracts. They added Jalen Ramsey's upcoming contract to that, which is why I was shocked about the deal. Yeah,
3: I was going to say, anytime you can acquire Jalen Ramsey, you should, unless you are already paying Jared Goff, Ty Gurley, Brandon Cooks, Aaron, Do- Aaron Donald, etc. Questionable move.
2: Number nine. Jason Witten returned to the field. <laughs> After one yeah. season in the booth for Monday Night Football 2, Let's say mixed results. Uh, (laughs) Jason Witten returned to the field with obviously less hair as well. Uh, 63 receptions on the season, 529 yards, four touchdowns. What was the impact of Jason Witten this year, Pat? Was it more on the field or more when you were watching Monday Night Football?
3: (laughs) I don't know. It's hard to say if the booth was improved. Uh, Jason Witten, he taught a whole new generation of uh, tight ends how to catch and fall. So that was nice. Uh, uh,
1: The true pontoon boat of the league, Uh, yes. uh, How
3: to not gain yards after the catch. This
1: slander is (laughs) unbelievable. How to post
3: a yards per catch that would be good if you were a running back, sort of. Uh, really bad if you're a pass I was stunned that. that he caught 63 balls this year.
1: Well, remember we even have a Roto-World blurb because they said he was going to average 25 snacks per game. He played 97% of their snaps. Did he really? <laughs> yeah, he just came back and played every single snap. And-, and what's funny is that, and trust me, I know one of the best run-blocking tight ends in the league. I understand that aspect of it. But like every time you saw Blake Jarwin for two catches a game, he was always exploding for like 30 plus yard grabs.
0: And that's the problem. They have Tavon Austin out there. They want speed at the position and Blake Jarwin has been one of Dak's most efficient. Targets, but just more Witten.
3: I mean, yeah, Jason Witten, one of the greatest tight ends in league history, future Hall of Famer. Just not, just, just not in 2019. S- yeah, it was. Not
2: so much in the boot, though. Uh, this season was just full of wild stories. Number eight. Sam Darnold got mono. Uh, yes, Sam yeah. Darnold got the kissing disease known as mononucleosis. Uh, you remember out definitely. You remember that Adam <laughs> yes. Gase press conference on a random Thursday telling the media that Darnold was out indefinitely after week one when he threw just one touchdown and 175 yards and sacked four times? Well, Sam Darnold didn't play again until week six.
1: My favorite aspect of all of that, though, was that they ran out Luke Falk for a couple starts. And then the moment, the moment Darnold was active, they immediately cut Luke Falk. They were just like, Yeah, we're done. (laughs) No more of this.
3: And the minute is was active, they ended the Cowboys' season. Uh, we didn't know it at the time, but if the Cowboys had won that game, uh, their season would have been much different. Uh, so I had mono. I've, I can so speak. I. I'm a mono It expert. was a kissing disease. It, I, I don't. I actually, we never found out how I got it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I did. I played uh, pickup basketball before I knew I had mono, and my spleen could have exploded. So wow. uh, grief. My life could True have warrior, Patrick yeah. Daugherty.
2: Do we remember in preseason, Ian, when the Jets were like one of the two teams we were most excited for yes, heading into their the pace
0: year? Yes. Some off. people like. <laughs> Ace is gonna let him run no huddle sometimes. I no. was not excited about the The whole part of that moment that I enjoyed though was just like the TV graphic where they showed Darnold, hairs looking good,
3: points at the camera,
0: out in
2: depth.
3: Truly legendary meme moment. Yes.
0: Uh-oh. Best of season.
3: Um
2: again. This season was just wild, and a story that just keeps getting weirder and weirder. Um, Antonio Brown played a game for the Patriots this year. Uh, Antonio Brown worked and worked to get released from the Oakland Raiders, a team he was traded to this offseason. You remember the frostbite on his feet? Remember the helmet shenanigans? Uh, He was released and then signed just six hours later by the New England Patriots. It was reported as a one-year deal worth up to $15 million. That included a $9 million signing bonus. He took the field in week two, was basically force-fed, Eight targets, four receptions, 56 yards, and a score in a 43-0 to
1: route. I believe that he had a 40% target share in that game as well. Uh, I, I was, I'm glad Antonio Brown made this in some capacity because I figured it was either the Patriots appearance or the fact he was traded the Bills hypothetically for 12 hours. <laughs> Those were my two favorite Antonio I mean, Brown moments.
2: And, and I understand, like this story and Antonio Brown has completely gone off the rails It's in, crazy in the worst way. But this was like the most consistent wide receiver in the NFL. One of the best ever. For five to six seasons, just putting up top one or top two wide receiver numbers. Fresh off 15 touchdowns. And now I would highly doubt if we ever see him again in a it football field. It just
0: sucks because he was so much fun to watch. Like yeah. you said, I mean, the Roethlisberger-Antonio Brown connection was the most prolific in the NFL over the last half decade. And looks like we're Probably never going to see him on the football
3: field again. He was on track to be the second most prolific receiver in NFL history, Jerry Rice.
1: The Raiders and Gruden renegotiated his contract to give him more guarantees, and he didn't see a penny of it. Like – his whole storyline this year is absolutely insane.
3: People thought he was playing like 3D chess, you know, it was the joke, and master strokes, and it turns out, you know, just, it was the much sadder, and he's just <laughs> yeah. kind of going crazy. All
2: right, next up, the Saints went undefeated with, with Teddy Bridgewater and
1: without Drew Brees. Boy,
2: Drew Brees uh, suffered skier's thumb while his hand was hit on a follow-through against the Rams in Week 2. Teddy Bridgewater then came in and went on to start the next five games. Again, went undefeated. Wins over the Seahawks, the Cowboys, the Bucks, the Jaguars, the Bears. Nine touchdowns, two interceptions, no fumbles for Teddy B. Uh,
1: And this was Sean Payton's Matt Castle moment. It truly was. And they used Taysom Hill less when they had Teddy Bridgewater on the field. They only got Taysom Hill involved when Drew Brees was in the game for some reason.
0: You know, kudos to Teddy for getting those wins, but to me, this was just more evidence than ever that Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara are what drives this offense. Mm. Look, Breeze does it, Teddy does it. They check down this office to open offense to receivers that get open because of Sean Payton's brilliant scheme.
3: Well, and kudos to the Saints. I mean, how many times do we see a season just completely ended by uh, you know a number one quarterback's injury? The Saints, who have been in all-in mode for two or three years now, invested a ton of money in the backup quarterback position, yeah. and uh, resulted
2: in thirteen and three. And we know they didn't get a first-round bye. They went thirteen and three still, and again, a five and zero record without your starting quarterback is almost miraculous. Incredibly impressive in the league right now. Uh, next up, Miles Garrett smashed Mason Rudolph with a helmet. Damn. Week eleven of the NFL season, the final play of the game. Miles Garrett takes down Mason Rudolph. Rudolph then takes a swipe at Garrett's helmet. But the, you know, 272 pound pass rusher wins in the end, rips off Mason Rudolph's helmet and smashes it down like Thor's hammer on the quarterback. Punches and kicks ensue, and we know that Garrett missed the rest of the season. This is a moment you never see on an NFL field.
1: So there are two reactions to this moment. One is everyone will always remember where they were when this moment happened. The second is how overblown it was on Twitter the next morning, or on social media in general. How? Like, even, even your parents were talking about but it. Like, how was that overblown when a dude takes off another person's helmet. Well, no, right? he, it was abuse. I understand yeah, that. Yeah, about when three of the
0: other dude's teammates are jumping
1: him yeah, the whole time. But I didn't I mean, expect it to make, I mean, like... I make
0: excuses for Miles
1: Garrett right
3: well, now. Well, I thought it was a bit extreme when people were like, let's sit in the U.S. Marshals and arrest him. Well, like, I've never seen anything.
1: Like, Mr. Daigle doesn't even watch sports. And he texted me the next morning. Said, hey, Rudolph, you see that guy swing a helmet? Mason Rudolph
0: going to his press conference and calling it Bush League and stuff was, all right, dude, go on the sideline when your helmet is ripped off. What are you doing?
3: What, what I mostly remember at the moment, though, was me personally going viral. What did you do? As I explained to these two gentlemen at the bar uh, the other dinner, year, yeah, uh, yeah, dinner. <laughs> yeah, it was dinner actually. Uh, the road world headline was one of our most. Uh, the road. I recapped the game, and my headline was: "Gastly Rudolph tosses four interceptions, comma gets assaulted." Miles Garrett is indefinitely suspended. Not just like an end nah, of season. No, he's going right?
1: to be reinstated. I understand, but the yeah. term is still indefinitely. Like he may not be back. He'll be back. But. We
2: mentioned earlier the forty-three to nothing loss. The Dolphins faced against the Patriots in week two. Well, in week 17, the Dolphins kept the Patriots from a first round bye, avenging that massive loss and beating the Patriots 27 to 24. This was wild because Brian Flores... You know, the front office, as much as the team wanted to say that we aren't tanking, well, they trade their best players for picks. And I even sat here on one of our podcasts and said that, you know, I think the league might change the rules to make (laughs) sure this doesn't happen in the future. Well, what does Brian Flores do? He has some wonderful coaching moments throughout the season and, again, avenges and beats his old team in the New England Patriots.
3: The, the Dolphins were outscored, I believe, 102 to 10 in the first two weeks of the season. Like looked on pace to be the worst team in NFL history, and to me, you know, people make fun of the Dolphins for like ruining the tank, but I think what they did was much better in the alternative. Going one and 15, 0 and 16, you don't like that creates as we saw in Cleveland. That kind of creates a culture that even if it's smart on paper, that you just kind of can't come back from. And you know, the Browns were just discon- disconsolate after going one and 31. And uh, it seemed like it just creates such a horrible mindset, the kind of losing on purpose. And, you know, if you do, if you get the losses, you know, that's fine. But I think it was good that the Dolphins kind of closed it, five victories, got some momentum going into next year, and they still have all the draft picks in the world. They still have great draft position. I think it was kind of a win-win for the Dolphins. Disconsolate. How? I don't know if I pronounced it correctly. (laughs) correctly. It's D-I-S-C-O-N-S-O-L-A-T-E.
2: Uh, Disconsolate. Disconsolate. Rewarded nothing.
3: Um, All right, next up,
2: Christian McCaffrey was the third ever – 1,000-1,000 1,000-1,000 producer in an NFL season. Look, Roger Craig did it in 1985. Marshall Falk did it in 1999. The Panthers may have finished the season at 5-11. and 11, But, Ian,
0: Christian McCaffrey, 1K-1K. 142 targets for Christian McCaffrey. I mean, they had like the happiest to 10 loss I've ever seen in Week <laughs> 17 when they were just trying to force him the ball and get him over that mark. And, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm happy he got his targets because that means that Curtis Samuel couldn't. Well, and this was done, nice dig, with Kyle Allen and
1: done Will, Will Greer. Greer. And it took them until, it took them like a full two quarters to get McCaffrey the ball because Will that, Greer that in, in the week 17.
3: Yeah, like he broke his own running back receptions record. So two years in a row now, Christian McCaffrey has set the single season running back uh, receptions record. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he is who Dave Gettleman thought he was. Dave Gettleman... The best personnel man in the let's, NFL for me. Let's being...
2: not go there, um, but it's it's going to be interesting in a couple of off seasons when Christian McCaffrey uh, obviously needs a new contract, and will set the market completely. Yep. And the discussion around that whole happening It'll be will be very be positive on Twitter. Is Kamara a year before him? Or are they? Saying... Uh, well, yes, because Kamara was a second round pick in that draft. Okay, gotcha. So he'll be a year ahead. Next up, Jameis Winston threw thirty touchdowns, but also the wonderful thirty <sighs> interceptions. Uh, the first NFL quarterback ever ever to hit that mark. 30 touchdowns and 30 INTs. And, Dago, it was done in the most perfect manner with the last throw of the season being a pick six for Jameis.
1: Jameis Winston <laughs> threw for the eighth most yards in a single season in league history. And he's a free agent and no one's basically discussing him. Like, no GM is running to give him as much money as he wants because of those turnovers. But, boy, were they spectacular.
3: He was or, heavy-handed in his pursuit of a 30 He made
0: Brashad Perryman relevant. Like, that's the yeah. most amazing thing about the season to me. Well, Baker Mayfield. I, I mean, I, I
2: think it's over. amazing throwing 30 interceptions when you have two wide receivers and Chris Godwin and Mike Evans both eclipse 1,200 yards.
1: Top 10 receiver. fantasy wide receivers, yeah. Like, that, that's, incre-
2: that's an incredible feat where – and Jameis is also this type, and he's been this type since Florida State, where, you know, he will put you in a ditch in the first quarter, throw a pick six, and then the next drive have three throws that other quarterbacks in the league can only dream of making. We've, and I have no
1: idea – how to interpret that. We've said this on the pod before, but it's literally his career, Heisman year, and then the following year, just a bust with Florida State.
2: Much more of Jameis Winston this offseason. Finally, let's close with the one player that I think defined the 2019 season. Lamar Jackson set record after record. Really, they're infinite. Um, I'll just list a couple here. Most rushing yards by a quarterback in a season with 1,206. Uh, and the first player to throw for 30 touchdowns and rush for 1,000 yards in a single season. Ian, when you think back on
0: this season from Lamar Jackson, what will you remember? I think it might be the best single season like highlight film we're ever going to see. It wasn't just how he got the yards. It was how he did it. And it was just one consistent spin. Every single week, there's three plays where he just left defenders grasping for air. And you know what? He did it all while also being a top five most efficient passer with... Mark Andrews, some good Hollywood Brown. Like, this is going to be really scary once they get some weapons, like maybe someone like John Brown, I don't know, Hmm. uh, really involved in that offense. If
3: you're talking about a human highlight season, we hadn't really seen anything like it since Cam Newton's rookie year. But as you just said, two completely different type of seasons. And to me, what's most remarkable about Lamar Jackson, so Cam Newton took big hits, lots of hits. This is always kind of famous last words with dual threat quarterbacks, but Lamar Jackson does a really good job of avoiding big hits. Like, he knows when to go down. He knows when to get skinny. He did not take... Take really any big hits as a runner this year and that'll be kind of like the key is if he'll be able to keep this up can he because to me he's not just gifted at all that he's gifted at avoiding big contact
1: 1200 yards and six passing touchdowns and seven rookie starts like that was warranted the questions about him throwing and I just think uh, his ability he's still struggling on the outside along the sideline sometimes but just his 180 in the passing game was like for me the most shocking part
2: Those were the 10 moments that I thought were the most important of the 2019 season. I agree. Uh, If you have any more, Pat would love to hear them on Twitter. So just reach out to him at RotoPat. So that was really our one look back at the 2019 season. Everything else is going to be spinning forward for 2020. So let's transition. Each of us came to the table with one answer to the premise of the biggest offseason storyline
0: is, and we'll start with Ian Harditz. Where are some of these veteran QBs going? Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Drew Brees. All these guys are free agents right now. I think we can all agree, you know, Breeze, probably nothing too crazy happening there. But there's been enough smoke with this fire that I think there is a chance Brady and Rivers could go somewhere. And there's some interesting options. I don't think they're washed just yet. But I don't know. Could they perhaps switch spots, Brady and L.A.? Well, I think we're getting to this point with Tom Brady
2: and Phillip Rivers where we actually wonder if they are good enough to help teams that they might move on to right now. Like, Are they better off sticking in the situation, in Tom, Brady, in Tom Brady's case, that he's already in, or moving on and hopefully improving that team? I'm not sure if there's an easy answer for that question right now, Pat.
3: Brady's better off staying put, but you know, I don't know if he thinks that. I don't know if Bill Belichick thinks that. I think we probably all think that. You know, At age 43, can he really... Reconstruct what he has spent two decades building in New England. Can he do it in one off season? Uh, maybe he can. But if that's we're talking about. You're, you're the macro storyline is the quarterback's change. The micro, like in that, is Brady. That is the real drama there. You know, Philip Rivers. You know, whatever. <laughs> Philip Rivers. Drew Brees is going to resign with the Saints, but. In Tom Brady, this is the biggest quarterback drama since at least Peyton Manning. Yeah. And not as big as Peyton Manning since we know he's not in his prime, but. But it's odd because I would even say in the 2017
2: season, 2018 season, Tom Brady was playing winnable football. And now we've seen it like the age hit a cliff. The same thing with Philip Rivers so, as well.
3: But it's so weird. There's another micro storyline within there. How much of it is his age yeah. and how much of it was his worst supporting cast in years? We did not put enough
0: into him losing Rob Gronkowski, the greatest tight end sure. to ever play. We just assumed, again, Brady would make do. Ultimately, they finished 21st in yards per play. It was the worst since 2002.
3: Yeah, If you're 43 and you struggle for any reason, though, they're going to think it's your age, even if it's not your age. Pat, they're not 43, but
2: we also have players like Ben Roethlisberger getting up there in age, Aaron Rodgers getting up there in age. What do you see for them this offseason?
3: Yeah, that was – I was going to tie my storyline into Ian's is we're – or entering the changing of the guard at quarterbacks, not even the guys who are the free agents. or Ben Roethlisberger not, even, not just getting up in age, coming off major injury. Aaron Rodgers peering. I don't know. It's weird. Was he diminished this year? His arm talent is still jaw-dropping, but Aaron Rodgers did not seem to be Aaron Rodgers. Horrible supporting cast. Uh, even Matt Ryan, after his high ankle sprain, could – essentially barely move. Like, his lack of mobility in the second half of the season was scary. Concerning. I'm assuming it was just the injury. Uh, even Cam Newton. I mean, it's, just, it's a It's a. time of change at the quarterback that has been so stable for really the past 10 years.
1: Well, the Steelers tried to have a changing of the guard moment, but that obviously failed with Mason Rudolph. <laughs> they tried to two
3: changing of Yeah. Guard. <laughs> they,
1: they at least attempted to move on from Roethlisberger, but they're, they're clearly not in place to do that just yet.
3: I don't know if they attempted to move on from Roethlisberger. Uh,
1: they attempted to have a backup plan, and that backup plan failed
3: Yeah, that's a perfect way of putting it.
2: It's odd because the Steelers have tried for like years to have a viable backup quarterback. Mm -hmm. I mean, you drafted Josh Dobbs. You had Landry Jones was his name. And Landry Landry. Jones is now a member of the XFL. I'm sure Ian's his biggest fan. Let's go. Um, And then Mason Rudolph, obviously, in round three. And these are just, it, it shows you how difficult it is to move on from Super Bowl winning types at quarterback but I'm with you, and going back to the initial topic in this conversation, we might see more of that in the next two or three offseasons than we've seen the last five combined.
1: Even Matt LaFleur mentioned drafting a quarterback because you can never have too many of that particular position, um, players that are good at quarterback on your team. And remember, Rodgers was drafted when Favre was 35. Rodgers is 35 now. So it does make sense to start putting those guys in place, even if it's what we rarely see now, uh, one year of just bench development, and that's it. John Daigle. What about you? What are you looking forward to this offseason? The Chargers don't grab headlines. I completely understand that. The most grabbed the wrong headline. One of the most yeah. underwhelming teams in the league. But whatever happens with their organization this year, genuinely shakes up the entire fantasy landscape. Mm-hmm. Wherever Phillip Rivers goes, if he comes back, uh, how, how does that affect him? His 23 touchdown passes were his fewest since 2007. He started the last 14 seasons for the Chargers. Uh, a changing of the guard moment that has, has to happen, whether it's Tyrod Taylor, uh, Easton Stick, a rookie they draft, whatever the case. And wherever Rivers goes, if it's somewhere like the Bucks, which is rumored, I don't think that's the case, but if he does goes to the Bucks, that drastically changes uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin trajectory as well. Austin Eckler, the number one running back, number one fantasy player the first five weeks. Uh, I imagine the Chargers match his offer. He's a restricted free agent, but it's the Chargers. Who knows what they do? Melvin Gordon, likely walks, but where does he go, and is it a timeshare? That could obviously change other situations as well. And then Hunter Henry, the number five tight end in fantasy from week six on, uh, receiving threat, but three serious injuries in as many years. So wherever these pieces go, like change up six different squads and leave just drafting differently this offseason?
0: It's an interesting landscape in L.A., even if some of those guys leave. You still have Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, uh, 100 if he stays, one of those running backs. I mean, there's some solid skill position players. It just kind of strikes me as a 2019 Browns-type situation where, yeah, you got some nice flair, things look nice on the surface, but... O-line remains pretty weak. It's still the Chargers. one of the most dysfunctional organizations in the league. Uh, even if they do upgrade a little bit at quarterback, because Rivers did seem pretty washed last year, I don't know if we should expect that much from the Chargers in 2020.
2: We will have another video breaking down quarterback matchmaking, and I'm sure we'll hit on the Chargers there. And I have to say it. It's, it's odd because every year it seems like the Chargers are one of these teams that people buy into mm-hmm. in the offseason heading into the year. Well, they're because, talent. You know, positive regression might happen where they didn't match what they could have done the previous year.
3: They might stop allowing a game ending touchdown every right,
2: week. Right, but I, I don't think that's the case heading into 2020. Obviously no. there's so much more time to go into and they do have some nice pieces, but this is a complete, like Daigle mentioned, such a complete restructure when you look at the running backs and how dynamic Eckler and Gordon were and Rivers and it's going to be a totally new identity for them.
3: Yeah, you left off of they're moving into an actual football stadium. This yeah. Year, so that'll be big for them. Uh, but th- I think if Rivers goes, I think Eckler's probably... If Rivers is gone, are you really going to match? Like, will probably be a big offer for what they view as a 1B back in Austin Eckler? So if Rivers is gone, I think Eckler could be gone. The Hunter Henry one really s- snuck up on people, I think. Hmm. But yeah. It's hard to realize he's a free agent because it seems like he just got in the league, but he's been hurt so much. Yeah. So he, I think it could... They could be engaging in a full-scale reboot in offense, basically, in my opinion.
1: And what's funny is that the defense is in place. Whoever's under center, like, has a terrific lead and advantage because that defense can win games.
3: stay healthy for once.
1: But is it, like, who is it, though? That's the question.
2: Dago, if we're going to focus on one team in this discussion, to me, we have to focus on the most underperforming team of 2019, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, We know that they have made a head coaching change going from Jason Garrett to Mike McCarthy. I'm inspired. Even though it seems... (laughs) Like Mr. Jones had to force that upon himself, um, but look, can they keep the band together? Because this is a team that has Dak Prescott as a free agent, Amari Cooper as a free agent. Mm-hmm. There are other big contracts like Byron Jones, Robert Quinn, who had eleven and Michael a half Bennett sacks as well,
1: who they traded for and was terrific after the trade deadline. Jason
3: Witten, nine yards per catch. And,
2: <laughs> and look, they finished the season eight and eight, and. You look at their point differential. It was plus 113 on the season.
3: This is the third best in the NFC, I believe.
2: That it's better than six playoff teams <laughs> this year. But sometimes, and if we can boil it down to the coaching decisions, I think that's fair. I also wonder if we overrate the talent a little bit. But now with how many changes they're going to face this offseason, I, I do wonder if this is going to be the same team that takes the field or even as good of a team in 2020 if they already missed the window possibly to win it all.
3: Well it's not a good off season for them to have their franchise quarterback and a true number one receiver up for new deals since they've already invested so much in the running back position, you know, so much at the skill positions, just via, you know, the least important position of the big three. And yeah, I just they have to tag Dak Prescott. I think they're in real danger of losing Amari Cooper. I agree. Uh, I guess maybe they could transition tag him. Uh, they could get really creative but Yeah, they haven't left themselves much room for flexibility. And, too, they have the new coach. There's too many, a lot of pieces and more pieces in flux than you might realize.
1: And Dak has all the leverage in that situation. Uh, I know the, the organization thinks otherwise, but, like, Dak is the one that has all the money in his control. And a new coach who basically is selling
2: point is I reinvented myself. You know? I, and so that's always a difficult situation to I agree. to.
1: I agree with you to a certain extent. And we have another video that will go much more in depth on Mike McCarthy and other coaches. But I will say Jason Garrett, for all his flaws, like he, the one biggest one was his defeated streak. He never once gave the Cowboys an X's and O's advantage. Whereas McCarthy at least gives them that a handful of times. Not all the time, yeah, say, but a I'll, few opportunities.
3: We'll see.
0: Well, the other thing that we got to <laughs> remember with this, the off, I think the offense will be – Above average at, the, at a minimal. The defense, It'd be embarrassing if it wasn't. Fair. The defense, though, they look like they're on the verge of becoming a truly elite unit in 2018. They took a big step back last year. Byron Jones, another guy up for a contract. They have Demarcus Lawrence, only had Robert Quinn on a one year deal. Who knows what Randy Gregory's doing if we could see that guy again? And the big selling point for that defense was Leighton Vander Esch, who now has this weird neck injury. Who knows? It if sounds that's career like career threatening, threatening yeah, as well. Yeah, not good. And Jalen Smith, who took a step back, they're going to have to think about paying him soon, too. So
1: They had a seven game uh, turnover list streak. Where they didn't get one turnover. We've been
0: talking about adding a safety for years. There's just a whole lot of question marks in that defense.
3: So, something else for the Cowboys might make them hard for them to improve. Kind of underreported storyline: how easy the schedule was last year. They had the AFC East. They got the well, they got the they got the Jets and Sam Darnold came back. But they had a really down NFC East. They had a really yep. soft out of conference division, and they just didn't
1: take advantage. That's why I sort of and we'll have months and months to talk about this. But this is why I kind of like already looking ahead, assuming they bring back these pieces, which is not a guarantee as well. The Cowboys in fantasy for next. Year because that defense is going to be exponentially worse. Uh, mm. The fact they pretty much can't bring back Byron Jones because they have to bring Dak and Amari back makes Jeff Heath your best defensive player, and it's going to be an absolute mess. Well, we, best fill kicker. We know in
2: the season they almost traded for Jamal Adams, so that's another storyline to watch for.
3: And I'm still convinced that would have helped a lot. That'll thing. be revisited this offseason. Yeah.
2: I feel like it should have come with some like snazzy transition between these, but you know, we don't have the budget or the manpower for that. All right, next up. You know, we all watch every game, every Sunday, every week, player after player after player. Well, still, despite that, and despite 16 games being played for each team, there are still players out there that deserve more touches. Each of us nominate
3: one and explain why. It's Kalen Balazs. I mean, let's just No, of uh, course yeah. Josh accused me of stealing this player from it because we were all talking about him because how amazing he is. It's it's AJ Brown. You know, hmm. it felt like AJ Brown was getting much more involved down the stretch, which he was in a lot of ways. But he only reached ten targets once. He only he reached eight targets three times all season. He only had ten total targets in the Titans three game playoff run. Uh, he he so he reached a thousand. He had a thousand yards thousand yards receiving this season. Uh, Amongst every 1,000-yard season of the past decade, he did it on the third fewest catches. Wow. So he averaged 20 yards per catch. This is someone... He's almost like Derrick Henry as a receiver. He's not quite just a beast after the catch. He needs more touches. He's a big guy, 220 pounds. Why not
0: give him two or three handoffs a game? Totally agree. I feel like only these true gadget guys like kind of your Tavon Austin type dudes really get the rush attempts, but why not give it to your beast? He's a terror terror in the open field. He's He's,
3: seriously like Derrick Henry in
1: the open field. He literally didn't run more routes than Corey Davis in any game until week nine and still finished as the wide receiver nine in PPR leagues. Absolute insane. I mean, I'm totally
2: on the same page with you all, but let me play devil's advocate here. Do we think it's possible with Mike Frabel's mindset, with Arthur Smith's mindset, with Ryan Tannehill playing quarterback, that if the team comes back together in 2020, that A.J. Brown eclipses, on average, eight targets a game?
3: It is. He, he established that he's that alpha talent. You can take targets away from Adam Humphreys. Corey Davis, you know, is, he's a known entity at this point. We're not going to get more from Corey Davis than we've been getting. I think it is possible, even in a hashtag established offense. I think John might
1: disagree. Yeah. The production can still be there, obviously, without targets. I don't think we need eight targets a game. I just want more on-field usage, like behind-the-box score. As long as he's on their field as their true number one wideout. Like, Corey Davis is still a good player. Corey Davis is only 25. There's still time for him to grow um, in his fourth or fifth year in the league coming up. But I want A.J. Brown on the field every single snap. He needs
3: six to eight targets a week, and as Ian said, he's
1: one to two
0: carries a week. Ian Harditz, who are you going to nominate for more touches in 2 I've talked about him a few times on the podcast.
2: Never heard it. (laughs) Never
0: heard it. Duke Johnson, free Duke. Come on. 2016, 6th in yards per touch. 2017, 8th in yards per touch. 2018, 3rd in yards per touch. This last season, 3rd in yards per touch. I understand yards per touch is inflated for receiving running backs. But seriously, what do you want your NFL offense to do? Do you want constant inside handoffs into loaded boxes? Or do you want someone that gives you the ability to throw the ball into the flats? Arguably, running back targets are the most efficient target to any position group because of how much higher they're completed. And I just have not seen any evidence from Duke, who, by the way, is the Miami Hurricanes' all-time leading rusher. There's
3: a leap between the tackles and.
0: College. Elite, with a capital E. <laughs> and all he's done in the NFL has been a great receiver year in, year out. And unfortunately, Carlos Hyde keeps following him wherever he goes and taking the job. <laughs> Lamar Miller is someone they might, you know, re-sign. Both Hyde and Miller are free agents. There's no sign that Bill O'Brien is going to give Duke this featured r- workload. But Correct. But all I see when he gets the ball is good things happen. And I just hope at one point
3: we see Duke Johnson with the three-down. By ball. the way, we're going to reuse the spiel next year. Yeah, uh, deal.
1: So. It does kind of remind me of, like, the light bulb conspiracy, how all the manufacturers got together built uh, an everlasting light bulb. But then we're like, wait, uh, we need to make sure this thing's shorter so we all make more money. Um, Everyone's just trying to hide Duke Johnson. I do. I agree with you. I believe he's literally one of the most talented running backs in the entire league. But like you said, uh, they traded for Duke Johnson before the Lamar Miller injury, and Duke still got 128 fewer touches than Carlos Hyde. It just doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen.
2: I'm just eagerly awaiting the blurbs in June and July saying they're all in. Can't wait for Duke Johnson to get double-digit targets each and every game of the season, double-digit touches, and it's just
3: it's not once, once you get typecast in the NFL, it just it's especially once you get typecast as a third-down back – by Hugh Jackson, it just seems like there's nothing you can do to <laughs>
0: shut it. And Bill O'Brien, the two most <laughs> ridiculed coaches in the league, and everyone just accepts it. But
3: whatever,
2: um, I'll go now. Obviously, I can't complain. About the Ravens' offense, I mean, it was the best in the NFL this season. But you're going to complain about it. Well, one, you get to retain both coordinators, which is amazing. Um, but do you know what's better than one ball carrier that runs a four-four? Two ball carriers that run a four-four, and that's potentially what is there with the Baltimore Ravens in giving more touches to Justice Hill. Um, only 17 percent of the snaps this season. He actually ended up in the final playoff loss, the Tennessee Titans, playing over 50 percent of the snaps in that game. Um, I mean, the production just wasn't there on a consistent basis. There were some flashes in the preseason. But look, he had, I believe, the fourth most targets of all backs on the team, and that's behind Patrick Ricard. I just think if you... Can add another layer to this offense that was basically unstoppable, one of the best offenses we've seen in recent memory or along the regular season. Giving Justice Hill more snaps makes sense.
1: That is my two-plan blueprint for the Ravens to evolve further in the offseason. One, Miles Boyd can take Seth Roberts' spot as Seth Roberts walks away in free agency, and two, getting Justice Hill involved. However, I'll take Justice Hill being an analogy for getting running backs involved because the Ravens targeted their running backs at the fifth lowest rate in the league. Lamar Jackson's just not a check down guy. So if we can get Justice Hill in and then also get their running backs more passes in general, I'll take that as a win as well.
3: Justice Hill, future Kenneth Dixon. Uh, Well, but Pat, like... I understand. We can joke about it, but, like,
2: this is also a team that believes in him a little bit. Like, they spent I mean, a fourth-round pick on him.
3: I, I was half-joking about the type Once you get cast as a third down back, it's just yeah. like you just don't break out of it. And I, I already feel like Justice Hill might be stuck in, like, the Duke Johnson vortex well, being a guy who's not going to get... I mean, Mark Ingram has a three-year contract, and like we said, Lamar Jackson doesn't check down to mm-hmm. running back. I could just quickly see this becoming another annual thing. Why isn't uh, Justice Hill getting more?
0: And some of it's on Justice Hill. I think we saw this with Darwin Thompson, too. You know, Just because you. <laughs> you're this quick running back that can catch, you got to pass block, and they're not going to put you on the field if you can. Mark Ingram definitely knows how to pass
2: block. I'll tell you this. This surprised me. Positive pass blocking grade from PFF this season, in like the 75th percentile. How many times do you do it, though? Not much. I think like 15. Uh, (laughs) Want
1: to close us out with this topic? Yeah, and it's because McCole Hardman simply put, deserves more touches. Sits touchdowns on 26 catches, 13.1 yards per target. And the best part about this is that there's an easy path here. Uh, Not only is Demarcus Robinson likely walking away as an unrestricted free agent this offseason, Sammy Watkins' 21 million next year is the highest cap hit among any receiver in the league. Get him out. As As they attempt to slowly give Patrick Mahomes his whopping $250 million, whatever it is. They literally have no choice but to rid themselves of Sammy Watkins. McCole uh, Harmon got four targets, exceeded four targets in four games last year. And it was all those games that Tyreek Hill missed. And he averaged three catches, 63 yards, and half a touchdown in those games.
2: Here's my plan for the Chiefs. Uh Keep Sammy Watkins for week one and then cut him. Because he's going <laughs> to score three three times Makes in sense. week one. Just like fantasy teams, yes. But I'm serious. I'm with you because... Michael Hardman has that like Ted Ginn speed. You know, when he puts yeah. his head down and just goes, he's playing at a different speed than everyone else on the field. And we saw it Except in he's the. Something not Tennessee even the fastest game.
3: receiver in his own receiver core.
2: It'd be a close race, which it is crazy. Be. It would be. And we saw it against that, the Tennessee Titans in the regular season where Patrick Mahomes had this jump pass, and I mean, Hardman brought it down in traffic and then gone. it just is gone. This is a perfect offense for these players who might not be refined at the receiver position, but you have a quarterback now who's showing off so much of his mobility in Patrick Mahomes that then just allows them to run and sprint and get open for four
3: seconds. He's going to do it. It's so true because Pat Mahomes puts the ball places other quarterbacks won't. He attempts passes
1: other quarterbacks won't. So he's elite at finding people in space. And yeah, couldn't. And he ran 90% of his routes from the slot in college. So getting rid of Sammy Watkins like already puts him in his position.
0: On well, Josh, your point real quickly, that's what makes the Chiefs offense so ridiculous. Mahomes can make any throw on the field, any play happen. But with that said, Reed is so good at scheming that we always see them rank at the top of the league in like yards after the catch per reception because they're always put in a good position to succeed.
2: Time to close out this four-pack podcast with the free agent that excites us most. And Mr. John Daigle this time kicks us off.
1: I ultimately believe Amari Cooper will be going back. Uh, Fantasy's number four wide receiver through Dallas' first 10 games. But those last six... Are what at least bring the question to mind if he goes back. Because in the last six wide receiver 39, just one touchdown a 55% catch rate. Yes he was injured, but like I said he's going to get a lucrative extension for his age. So just that poor performance uh, may at least lend itself for the transition tag but I don't know if Dallas wants to bid against 31 other teams for him either. So it's going to be at the very least super interesting to see what happens with this situation.
0: I think they need him back in that offense to be as good as they want to be. With that said, Mike. Michael Gallup has looked pretty special his first two seasons. We'll see. Amari Cooper last offseason was talking about wanting to be one of the highest paid wide receivers in the league. I'm not sure if they're going to give him that much. Do you think he deserves it? Not to be the highest paid, but to be in
1: that tier, yes. Not to be the highest paid, but tier, yes. I
2: I mean, I can't put myself in Amari Cooper's shoes, but I'll try to right now. I mean – he had his ups and downs with the Raiders. The consistency just wasn't there. So does he really want to go, potentially go to a situation where he's playing with a worse quarterback than Dak Prescott and not getting the same volume or the same consistency? Because with the Cowboys, and we kind of kind of ended awkwardly where he was taken off the field and Tavon was used in very some bizarre. situations. Very bizarre. But at least for multiple weeks and half a season and a half, um, there was a lot of consistency and, and rapport with Dak Prescott.
3: My dream for Amari Cooper is Amari Cooper to the Ravens, who had no compliment, mm. no, like, their possession compliments to Marquise Brown were Seth Roberts and Willie Snead, mm-hmm. just unacceptable, the, really kind of the Achilles heel of the offense. And Amari Cooper, he can be like that possession guy, that route tactician. He can be an explosive guy down the field, which compliments Marquise Brown perfectly. He's plays into Lamar Jackson's skill set. Uh, the Ravens have a somewhat shaky cap situation, but... Uh, My dream would be Amari Cooper to the Baltimore Ravens, who just desperately need a receiver upgrade. So I have a wide receiver that excites me the most as well. Not quite on Cooper's level, but I would be very interested to see if Robbie Anderson
0: went somewhere different. I think he's been a guy that's been a little bit underutilized his whole career. Reminds me of T.Y. Hilton where, yes, if he's your number one wide receiver, you can deal with it, but I'm, I'd love to see him as an overqualified wide receiver too somewhere. I mean, Green Bay, Philly, Packers. Arizona, San Fran, Indy, Baltimore, maybe even Denver. Like, I just think there's so many teams I could use one of these elite field stretchers. He truly changes the way defenses play. Uh, there's a... Next-gen stat that measures the cushion between the cornerback and wide receiver every snap. Robbies was the single tightest in the league because you've got to have a safety over top the guy. So you disrupt him, move to safety. Like, just having someone that can dictate coverage. We see what Will Fuller does for the Houston offense mm-hmm. every time he's healthy. Like, these two field stretchers are just such a game-changer. And that skill set travels,
2: right? Like, every team can basically use someone like that. Um, it's also a player a few years ago that Philadelphia Eagles tried to trade for. And it didn't work out, and they obviously need that with Deshaun Jackson putting all the eggs in their basket in his basket this prior season. And while it worked for one game, it didn't work <laughs> out for the other 15 games uh, on the
1: year. I, I do think he's a special talent, but the inconsistency is a reason why he's only exceeded 780 yards once out of four seasons in the league.
3: I Also, I hope whoever signs him would probably intend to feature him before December, which for whatever yeah. reason <laughs> uh, oh, maybe we should funnel targets to so, Robbie Anderson. But, Ian... Do you think he leaves the Jets?
2: I mean, that's kind of an impossible Definitely. question to answer. A hundred percent. And then, I mean, what is Sam Darnold now left with? You know? Like Adam, Adam Gase. It's, it's, I mean, Jamison Crowder weird. and building a, a wide receiver group around him. Like, I understand he's a good slot receiver, but we've seen it fail multiple times. <laughs> is Deontay insane.
1: Burnett still on the team? Has
3: like Adam Gase ever failed to build an offense? <laughs> <group? laughs> I love that that. I say say uh, Jameis Winston to me uh, we already had some Jameis talk earlier today in a different Jameis Winston plays a different position than other quarterbacks essentially we're in the era you know of efficiency of checkdowns of just efficiency over all else uh, Jameis Winston attacks down the field you know like it's like he's uh, like he's Dan Fouts or something like he's playing in a different era so you know the interceptions look bad but it's because he plays the position differently and I think this, yeah, you know, he's got he's gotten incrementally better every year, and this year he's with a coach and Bruce Arians who meshed with his philosophy. But you, Bruce Arians kind of checked out. Seemed like maybe of the Bucks' offense, kind of kind of was unclear what Bruce Arians' involvement even was. If James can get another coaching upgrade, he got a coaching upgrade this year. He's a player I think who just plays the position differently and could, uh, as much as we joke about him, could take another big step forward. It- yeah. Go Let's ahead. Say, one
0: thing in Tampa it seemed like he had—he's had, going
3: to be cheap. Sorry, I, 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 that's another yeah. reason. He's he's, got, I don't
0: know if he's going to
2: be cheap. He's going to be cheap. He'll
3: be ch- cheaper than some of these other guys. He's going to be cheaper than a one-year Tom Brady contract. Probably cheaper than a one-year Phillip Rivers contract. <laughs> cheaper than he might Ryan be cheaper. Tandem- than he's than not going to Tandem- be, Tandem- chi- be cheap. Ch- th- 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 I don't
0: think he's. Th- 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 I don't think he's th- going to be cheaper than we all kind of thought the Bruce Arians coming in there would just magically kind of make this offense as good as it could be. But to see OJ Howard utilized so you know lightly, to see Peyton Barber continue to play so much and just get all these useless carries throughout the season—it was was Byron Lefwich running the offense and I like you said I would like to see another offensive coordinator upgrade.
2: Jameis sure.
3: Winston's 10 point, he averaged 10 and a half air yards per pass. That was a, a yard more than number right. two Ryan Tannehill.
2: And so like if Jameis goes somewhere else that doesn't have a Mike Evans or a Chris
1: Godwin, that
2: is frightening.
1: Right. That's why That's why, like the Chargers pair of receivers kind of makes sense. Oh, man. But I, I just think it's super interesting because what if I blindly just like blindfolded every GM, but hey, a 26-year-old just threw for the eighth most passing yards in league history in a single season, and now you can have him on the market. He's a free agent. Just go out and grab him. No. But he, they find out then he's Jameis Winston. and well,
2: I mean, you find out that you threw 30 interceptions this right. year and had a lot of fumbles At and took a lot of sacks. 32 not No, no, no. We cannot look over these interceptions. We can't. because. No, I understand. <laughs> I looked this up. There was a. I researched. 73% the
1: Internet, if you, guys you win the it?
2: turnover differential, you win the game 73% right. of the time. Jameis Winston does not put you in that boat.
1: Which is why Brady's mm-hmm. on the other aspect, because 24 touchdowns and 8 interceptions for Brady matters.
0: But there's always going to be a coach that goes, I can take that good and get rid of the bad. Sure.
1: I don't. It, wor- it certainly wasn't winning football, but Jameis Winston, fantasy-wise only, with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, was spectacular. I'm going to be very
3: honest. Midway through the debate, I regretted picking him. There you go.
1: <laughs> strengths get
2: stronger. Weaknesses rarely, rarely turn into strengths. And I think that's like the biggest issue with Jameis Winston right now. Um, I'll close it out with Jadavion Clowney. Uh, Clowney is someone who is obviously a better run defender than pass rusher. Um, so, what does that mean on the market? Well, what it means in the market is that right now, Cleo Market is Cleo uh, Mack is the highest edge contract. Demarcus Lawrence is after that. Frank Clark is after that. Guys, I think it's very reasonable. I think it's very possible that Judevian Clowney receives the highest defensive contract. In the NFL, it's crazy to say. I mean, just three sacks this season, the regular season, one half in the playoffs. Only fifty-seven percent of the snaps face a lot of injuries. But you look at how rarely free agents like this get on the market. Wouldn't surprise me at all if he just racks in the
1: money. This all awesome. salary cap is spiraling upward. I I agree with you, but there are two things in player one as you mentioned, the injuries. A 16 game, just once in a six-year career. Certainly worrisome. And two, it's such a deep market. Like Chris Jones, I know he's going back to the Chiefs, but Chris Jones, free agent. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe, who I wrote phonetically on my paper to get it right. Uh, Robert Quinn, Michael Bennett, uh, Derek Wolfe, Armstead. Like, these are guys that are elite edge rushers as well. So yes, Clowney's probably in a different class, but I just think his availability impacts it a lot.
2: But that's why it's fascinating. I'm not saying he should get the top contract, but he might get it um, because again he probably will he, he is more known for being a run defender than pass rusher yet players like this rarely hit the market still good pass
0: rusher just is, not yeah, maybe sure. the best. still top 20 PFF in terms of it but I think he's going to get paid a lot because Seattle kind of needs to when teams do an in-season trade. It was right before season, but when they do trade for someone, I feel like they're more inclined to overpay that person, and especially in this case. I mean, just let, you know, Frank Clark went to KC last year. Other than Bobby Wagner, I don't think they have too many answers in that front seven. They spent a first-round pick on L.J. Collier, and he about barely to say, played this yeah, season. Unless yeah. you really want to rely on L.J. Collier coming back and being this elite guy all of a sudden, I think you need to get clowning back.
3: Seahawks does nailed their first pick in every draft. Rashad
0: Penny, man. Love it. <laughs> uh, those are the free agents that
2: excite us mo- most for the uh, 20 2020 offseason. Go and check out Nick Minzio's list. He has a list of all the free agents available for every single team. That's up on Rotoroll.com. If you want to check out more of our videos, those are over at NBCSports.com.